Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. Okay, I want you to grab your Bibles and go with me, if you would, this morning to Acts chapter 11. And we're pressing in on this, uh, this topic and this theme of what it would mean to be a church like the church in Antioch. And so Antioch was a city, we started this last week, was a city uh, in, in the ancient world that, that was, uh, became, it became the epicenter for Christianity. And God did something special in that local church family. And what I love about this text, what I love about this series, is that there's an example of a local church that is producing the evidence of God's grace. And it's, it's a whole company of people. It's not some special one person uh, that, that is at the front, not just a gifted person, but a community of believers together in revival. And so don't get too excited, but I think that's really cool. It's really good for us to take a look at that. I think some people's definition of revival would be you know, loosely based around the idea of some traveling preacher who comes in and, and uh, the services really take off. And so then there's you know, maybe extended services for a few nights or a few weeks. And then it dies down and that preacher takes the revival with them and goes to another town and everything goes back to normal in the, you know in the setting is some kind of loose idea of revival that looks like that today and in this series what I want to do is call your vision to a higher level than that I, I believe that that we could agree together that what God wants to do here at Lake Mount is like what he did at the church in Antioch that we find in the book of Acts chapter 11 and what it looks like is a, a church that really functions as a greenhouse. It's a church that, that steps out in faith and doesn't adhere to uh, regional boundaries or internal uh, uh, discriminations, but instead they reach out to people that don't look like them, sound like them, have a similar background to them, but they preach the gospel to the whole world, and God's hand comes upon them and begins to move in power with them. And as a greenhouse, what happens is that the giftings within that house begin to flourish and grow. I believe that's a picture of revival that we could pray into and believe that God would want to do something like that here. Amen. I believe that God wants to do the same kind of thing. I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't believe he's the great I used to. I believe he's the great I am. And so it's important for us when we see something in Scripture that, that resonates in our heart to recognize that's the work of the Spirit to provoke faith in us, to believe that God wants to do something in our generation that would be exceptional. I think we're living in exceptional times. I think that we're living in times where there, there is a lot of darkness, there's a lot of confusion. It seems as though the foundations are being blown out left and right. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, I don't think any amount of good programming is going to fix it. I don't think that's the answer. I think what we need is a church that is completely on fire, not just the people at the front, but every single person that calls this church home, being empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our world. And so I believe that that's what we see in Acts chapter 11. So if you're there, we're going to begin at verse 19 and just, again, refresh our understanding of what we're leaning into, this picture of the grace of God on this local church. Acts 11, starting at verse 19, says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, 
men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Hallelujah. Verse 22, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. As I said, this church, what we see is a couple of key phrases. We see that the church reaches out beyond the limitations of only preaching to Jews and starting to reach and preach to anybody that would listen. And a key phrase that emerges in uh, verse 21 is that the Lord's hand was with them. We want the Lord's hand to be with us, amen? I mean, God help us if God isn't helping us. God help us if we're trying to do church by ourselves. God help us if we're trying to witness by ourselves. But when the Lord's hand is with us, that means there's a supernatural empowering from God to actually make the witness bear fruit. That God put his blessing on those who reached beyond their internal prejudice and responded and took the mission of God seriously. What we know is the Great Commission, to go into all the world, not some of the world, but to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody. And so the hand of the Lord comes upon them. The other key phrase that we see in verse 23 is that when Barnabas, the apostle from Jerusalem, came to inspect this new work in Antioch, verse 23 says that he saw the evidence of grace. And that phrase has gripped me for a number of months now. The evidence of grace, that God's grace, the divine empowerment of the Holy Spirit was evidenced in such a way that Barnabas could see it. And when he saw it, he blessed it. Not only did he bless it, but as we looked at last week, he thought about Saul of Tarsus, who were introduced to a couple of chapters earlier, and in the timeline of the book of Acts is about seven or eight years earlier, that when Saul of Tarsus, who was persecuting Christians, experienced an encounter with Jesus and surrendered his life to the Lordship of Jesus. He came to the church in Jerusalem said, I'm a Christian now. They didn't believe him. Barnabas said, you need to believe him. They believed him, but they didn't know what to do with him, and they sent him back home. 
And for seven and a half years, he was in Tarsus, just kind of dying on the vine. But when Barnabas went to Antioch and he saw the evidence of God's grace and saw the hand of the Lord was with this church, he put a pause button for himself and he went and got Saul and brought him into that environment because he said, you need to grow in an environment like this. What's planted in your life is going to flourish. What am I saying? Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle in the Antioch church. His gifting grew. What God had placed upon him that was in there needed a greenhouse. We're surrounded by greenhouses. You know what I'm talking about. It needed a perfect environment with the right moisture and the right heat and the right light to take the seed that was beneath the soil, cause it to germinate and mature and bear fruit. An Antioch church is a church that will grow the seeds of the deposit of God in your life so that you can be fruitful in the purpose of God for you. That's what we want. That's what we're praying into. The grace that was evident on that church then and there, we're saying, God, let that grace be evident on this church here and now. So Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle. The believers became known as Christians for the first time in Antioch. In other words, the church matured and came into its own, had an identity that began to become an epicenter of regional influence and global reach. We want to be a part of a church like that. Amen? And so I believe that God is still doing the same thing. And so this phrase, the evidence of grace, has gripped me. It's gripped my imagination. It's gripped my prayer life. It's got me thinking about what is the evidence of grace in that local church that we could pray into to see that grace here. How many think that's a good prayer? God, what was happening there, help us to see the evidence of that grace. And so my mind and my heart, as I've been praying into this, I was drawn to this concept that Jesus actually said in the Gospels. He said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, don't worry about what it looks like out there. The church is going to be okay. But what we want to do is be the church that's on the leading edge and not selling out to just try to make peace with culture. We want to transform culture in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so Jesus said, I will build my church. Well, then the question becomes, how does Jesus build his church? What does that practically look like? You know, it's no theological or interpersonal secret to know that Jesus is, his presence is here by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is right now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me. So practically speaking then, how is he building his church from heaven? I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to go with me over to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul outlines some of the key builders that God calls to co-labor with him in building his house. And it's important for us to see this and lean into it. Otherwise, we might be praying a good prayer. Oh God, give us the grace like it was on Antioch. But we're saying it like we don't know what we're talking about. And God says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. But if we'll ask God to open our eyes and give us insight, then we can pray with insight what we're praying. God, what does that grace look like? How does that operate? In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul 
is writing this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to this congregation, speaking about the way that God builds His church. And the way that God builds His church, the Apostle Paul outlines that Jesus Himself gives gifts to the church. Now, who doesn't like gifts? Weirdos, right? Everybody likes gifts. Okay? So let's not be weirdos. We love gifts. Okay? We love the gifts that Jesus wants to give. Now, the gifts of Christ are different than the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are outlined elsewhere in Scripture where we understand that God wants to, by His Holy Spirit, put His divine working in you that you might have a gift of faith or you might have a gift of prophecy or healing or miracles or word of knowledge or word of wisdom. Those are gifts of the Spirit that you can grow in and operate as an individual believer for the encouragement of the church. The gifts of Christ are not the same as the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of Christ, hear me, are people. Everybody say people. Okay? So the gifts of Christ are people that Jesus actually specially graces. He specially enables and empowers them with unique aspects of his kingdom. And they, they are fivefold. There's five of them. So we often talk about these as the fivefold gifts. Or some people talk about them as the ascension gifts. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't leave us alone. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And he also gave us these five offices that help the church. How? Ephesians chapter 4. Are you there? Okay. Ephesians 4 verse 11 to 13 says this. It was he, meaning Jesus. It was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I want you to understand that Ephesians 4 doesn't say that when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit takes it upon himself to make you mature and complete and attain to the full measure of the wholeness of Christ. That's not what it says. It says that the way the Spirit is going to work in your life and in this local church is Jesus gives gifts who are people and as they function in their office, in the gift that God has placed upon them, it's going to help all of us get stronger in each of those five areas. And these are areas that we all need to get strong in. We need to have, again, a definition of revival that's not just extended services for a period of time with a special so-and-so that swoops in and flies out. But what we need to look at is revival as a way of life where the church becomes the epicenter of community, ministering the voice of the Lord into a darkened generation, shining the light of who He is and bringing, being a storehouse of supply to the world around us. So if we want to be prepared to serve. If we want the body of Christ to be built up. If we want to all reach unity in the faith. If we want to grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. If we want to become mature. If we want to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
we need to receive from the gifts that Jesus gives to us. We can't simply just claim those things. We need to look at the means by which he distributes those. If I was standing at a soda fountain, and I really wanted some Mountain Dew, because I'll let you in on a little secret. I like Mountain Dew. Okay. Not really. It's just an inside joke. But if, if I wanted to have some Mountain Dew, it does me no good to just stand there and claim it or ask for it. I need to push against the dispenser. But which one? The one that says mug root beer? The one that says Coca-Cola? The one that says Sprite? No. I need to actually go to where it's being distributed. There's grace being distributed into the church. And it has names. And it's people. The apostle, the prophet, the pastor, evangelist, and the teacher. And so I want us to just take a few moments to unpack what these look like. And then we're going to pray into it. First of all is the apostle. Okay? When Jesus called his 12 closest disciples to himself, he designated them apostles. And when he gave them that title, he no doubt kind of half offended them. Because... The idea of being an apostle, he didn't use an Old Testament term, he didn't use a priestly term, he didn't use what they would have seen as a spiritual term, but instead, he used a Roman military term. And these guys did not like the Roman military. In fact, some of them were following Jesus because they had this idea that Jesus was going to overthrow Rome, and so they are just waiting for him to do it. And so when Jesus said, I'm going to designate you as apostles... They, it would have landed on them as somewhat offensive. And they would have understood that there was some opposition to what was being made available in their lives. An apostle, what does it mean in the Roman military? Well, when Rome was conquering the known world, and yes, I am confirming the stereotype that men think about the Roman Empire several times a day. When Rome was conquering the known world, what they would do is they would come in and they would subjugate a people and they would put their flag in the ground and they would stake their claim and say, this is now Rome. But what they discovered was when they stuck the flag in the ground and said, this is now Rome, all they had was a flag in the ground and a statement. It did not look, sound, or feel like Rome in those conquered territories. And the, the desire of the expanding Roman Empire was to have it be such that whenever the emperor, if he stepped out of his, a ship in any conquered territory, wherever he stood, he would feel at home. That it would feel like Rome wherever he went. So, the Roman military devised the apostolic team. And the apostolic team was a team of people that came into newly conquered territory. And their job was to bring the culture of Rome into newly conquered territory territory, to make that territory become of the culture of the kingdom that they represented. Are you hearing me? So when Jesus said, I'm designating you apostles, they understood, oh, we're bringing the culture of your kingdom into this world. See, this world doesn't operate like the kingdom of God, but Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so an apostle is one who is a culture builder. It's someone who is concerned with the purity of life and doctrine and the mission of God. 
they're concerned with, if you read the, the, the letters of the Apostle Paul to the different churches, you hear his passion for purity in the life and the, in the personal lives and in the congregational life of the church. Doctrinal purity and moral purity and a responsibility to live in the mission of God. If we were to picture the local church as a battleship, the apostle is like the captain of the ship, setting the course and the direction, determining the speed, and navigating challenging waters with skill and forward vision. That's the role of an apostle. The next gift is the, is the prophet. And the prophet is one who can foretell, that is to speak to the future, and foretell, that is to speak with divine authority the words of God in their generation. We see this grace in the book of Acts in the church of Antioch when prophets from Judea came to the Antioch church and they got a word about a, fourth, about a coming famine and they got the whole church to prepare and collect funds so that they could support and help people that were starving. Wouldn't it be amazing if the church of Jesus Christ became known as the resource center while problems are happening out there, the church is 10 steps ahead because prophets are in operation, seeing the purpose of God. So in that image of a battleship, the prophet is like the telescope operator looking out into the, the distance and seeing what's coming and charting the waters based on saying to the apostle, saying to the captain, there's a, an iceberg ahead. Or like a radar technician in more modern terminology. They're looking on the horizon for obstacles and opportunities that can inform strategy and instill hope. Like God knows where he's taking us. Like God's not scared. Like God's still speaking into this generation and speaking into his church. And so the prophet de delivers the word of God in a way that lands as though God was speaking directly from them to you. The next gift is the evangelist. This is uh, someone who preaches the gospel and wins souls. It's not just someone who, who witnesses. It's not just someone who tells their testimony. It's not just someone who preaches the gospel, but they bring in the net. They actually bring people to a point of decision. They bring them to say, do you need to yield your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? They lead people not just to preach to them, but to bring them into a relationship with Jesus. In the battleship, they're like the rescue boat and lifeguard crew. When they see a man overboard, they take the rescue raft and they jump out and they go and they save them. When they see a sinking ship nearby, they mobilize others to go out and seek and save the lost. The evangelist is a soul winner. The evangelist is one who preaches the good news and sees people come to salvation. They're burdened to see people come to faith in Christ. And God has graced them in a way that people respond to their preaching and witness. When they, when they preach and witness. When you read in the book of Acts elsewhere, the Bible talks about people saying to the, to the evangelists, saying, what must we do to be saved? I mean, I could witness to people if they're like, how do I get, to, how do I get saved? Well, that's easy, right? The evangelist has a grace on them that people begin to dig into the, the, the grander issue and they begin to turn their hearts to the Lord. The next gift that Jesus builds the local church with is the pastor. That's someone who's got a shepherding heart, a caring heart, someone who, who offers guidance. In the battleship analogy, they are like a combination of the ship's medic and chef. They provide food for the hungry and they offer care for the wounded. 
They make sure that the soldiers have needed rest and energy to engage the battle with strength. They're nurturers. They're spiritual caregivers. They want to make sure that the body of Christ is protected and feels fed and safe and and cared for. The next gift is the teacher. Those who preach and teach the word of God with insight in the image of the battleship, they are like the ship's drill sergeant. They're training the soldiers in the advance of conflict, preparing them to know what to do when they're taking new territory and when they're engaging the enemy. That people aren't just, you know, like a deer in the headlights, scared all of a sudden, didn't know this was coming, didn't know that conflict was coming. But there's a a readiness. The teacher helps people know when a storm comes that it's not some bizarre, uh, you know, off-the-wall thing, but that there's difficulty in life, but God's Word will teach us how to remain anchored to Him. They open the Word of God in a way that brings insight and understanding. And it's open in a way that gives practical insight for living. These gifts, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, these are people. They are people that are graced by Jesus. Jesus chooses and appoints them. They didn't apply or ambitiously assume a place. Jesus puts them in the body where he sees fit. And we grow most as a local church. The grace that was evident on the church of Antioch is evident where these graces are evident in the church. And we're all, listen, we're all called to grow in and operate in all of these areas. All of us are. But there are five unique individuals who embody that grace and they equip others to grow in that specific area. What do I mean? I mean, how many know that we are all supposed to go in all the world and preach the gospel? Does anybody know that? Okay. So we're all supposed to do that. But the evangelist is wired by God in such a way that they develop strategy with an anointing. Here's here's a thought for you. I think an evangelist in the first century church in Antioch, if they came here and wanted to do evangelism here in Grimsby, they might not do that great of a job. Why? Different culture, different time, different tools. People are different the way that we're spending our time and our attention. And so to think, oh, well, just, you know, we just need to get back to the way it was in the Bible. Yes, in spirit, but in function. Jesus builds with people that he graces in such a way that an evangelist today is going to have tools and methods and ways that will work for the culture that we're in. And so what happens is when we're all called to evangelize, but we're not all a capital E evangelist, when we come under the grace of an evangelist, what happens? We all get better at evangelism. And we're accomplishing that portion of the mission of God because we can receive from that grace. The prophet doesn't do all the prophesying. Like if you want to, like, let's get a prophet at the church. Okay, and then what? And then we'll all just line up and ask what's going to happen next. And then we'll all just line up and give me a word. Well, that's kind of lazy. Like I'm just going to get a prophet to hear from God for me. But what can happen, listen, the prophet doesn't do all the prophesying. What the prophet wants to do is equip you, help you to be able to hear God better than you currently do because of the grace that's on their life. How many know the pastor isn't the only one who cares? Praise God for that. Okay? They equip people with grace to show compassion. You know, in in North America, a pastor is anyone who has a job at a church. Okay? That's supposed to make you laugh. But that's, that's, that's kind of how we use the word pastor. 
And I'm not suggesting that we go around and try to grab all these labels and put them on business cards. I'm apostle, so, so I'm prophet, so, so I'm not saying that. That's a whole other version of weird. What I'm saying <laughs> is that to really understand the grace that's on a pastor, it's someone that is nurturing and caring and watching over you and helping you through difficulty. But hear me, also helping you help others by doing the same. They equip. All of these fivefold gifts equip the church to get stronger in these areas. The apostle isn't the only one who cares for doctrinal purity. They're not the only one who cares about the direction and the culture of the kingdom in the church. He establishes that culture and the church and the people can thrive in it, but it's not a one-man show. We want to grow in the grace that is on the church in Antioch. And this morning, what I simply want to just teach and lay before you is that what we need to recognize is there are people who are covered by the grace of God, who uniquely God has given them a grace and ability to hear from God or to evangelize or to maintain doctrinal purity and culture or to have that grace to care and nurture and shepherd or to teach and unpack the word. And as those five things create like that greenhouse over us, what happens? We can all become mature and complete and grow in the purpose and the knowledge of God. And so we need to have our eyes opened. We need to, like I was saying last week, that God says, I'm doing something new. And then he asks a question, do you not perceive it? And it's important that we perceive it because if God opens a door in front of you, but your eyes are closed, it's almost like God didn't open the door. We need to perceive what God is doing. And so what God is doing in this day is wanting to awaken within us a passion to recognize the grace that Jesus has distributed in this church so that we can flourish as a people that it's not all happening from the front, but that we're being equipped to go in all the world and preach the gospel everywhere. Amen? So hear me. I don't want anyone to come away from this morning's service and go, this was some interesting background information about some cool things from Ephesians chapter 4 and some neat ideas of the, how that might apply to the church in Antioch 2,000 years ago. I don't want anybody going away from this morning going, interesting. <laughs> what I want us to grab hold of is a fresh faith to recognize that this is the way Jesus builds the church. And so it's not ethereal and way off somewhere else. We need to lean in and say, then God open my eyes and help me see the grace that is over me, the grace that is around me so that I can flourish in the purpose of God. Why do I want to call that out? Because we're Canadian. Because we live in North America. And I just need to, I just need to be a straight shot of truth here. We love to, we, there are entire networks devoted to do-it-yourself. There are entire industries devoted to do-it-yourself. Why pay a contractor when you can, you can lay bricks yourself by watching this YouTube video? Why, why you know, good, I don't want your house. <laughs> if you laid the brick, thanks. There's a whole mindset of do-it-yourself that preoccupies the North American thinker. And the idea that my independence proves my authenticity. My independence proves that I've really got a direct relationship with God. And I want to say to you, God loves you too much to give you all the answers just for you. 
What he does is he puts answers in the people around you and puts the answers in people in authority over you and they don't lord it over you, but God gave them grace. Jesus put grace on people, made them into a gift, puts them over in his church and then what happens as we look to that like the fountain pop, we, we go and we, we, we take and we receive from the grace right you can picture that soda fountain we pick, we receive from these different graces and what happens is that begins to flow in our lives and we become mature and complete and we grow into the full measure of God hear me we don't become mature and complete by avoiding all of that I'm not saying that, that, that people who don't go to church or whatever are, are not really Christians I'm just saying they'll never achieve the fullness of what God has for them based on the word of God. You can't do this as a lone ranger. We need each other. And Jesus has gifts and graces that are for us. And so that maturing is at stake until we lean in and say, God, this is what I know I need. I know that I need to recognize the grace that you've put in my life. People that you've put in my life. People who've given themselves on behalf of the cause of Christ and this local church to see us move into the mission of God with greater grace and authority. And I believe that as we pull on that together, then we're going to see like a greenhouse, the seeds of destiny that God's planted in you, like Saul of Tarsus had a profound salvation encounter. What might God want to do with that guy if he got into a greenhouse? He grows an apostolic grace in him. What might God want to do with your salvation experience and the calling that he placed on your life in an environment where we recognize the grace all around us? I believe God wants to grow callings and anointings and make us so fruitful there's not going to be room enough to contain it. If you're with me, I want you to stand with your, stand to your feet. We're going to pray into this. Would you do that right now? Just close your eyes, maybe lift your hands and just begin to pray. Just begin to ask the Lord right now for that grace. The, the, the ability to perceive what it is that he's doing. You're doing something, Lord, in your church. And we want to be a part of it. Lord, we, we don't want to miss it. We want to perceive it. And so, Father, I pray right now that, God, you would take, Lord, unbelief, disbelief, wrong belief. Just take all of that from us. And let your word be revealed to our hearts. Open our eyes, Lord, to recognize grace. And I pray, Father, that all over this house, Lord, you'd release, Lord, great passion for the mission of God, great passion for purity and following you in holiness. I pray, Lord, you release a passion for your living voice and that, Lord, you'd stir up the prophetic gift all over this house. That, Father, you'd release passion for souls in this house. That, Lord, we would have a burden for people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would be burdened recognizing that, Lord, they are, they are living separate from their purpose in you. And their eternity will be forever separated from you. But that they come to the confession of the faith of the Lordship of Jesus. Release the grace of evangelism over this house. Lord, that you'd release into us a passion for the health and strength of this body of Christ. That, Lord, there would come a burden upon us, Lord, to show and demonstrate the care that you have for us and for one another that God we would not be so concerned about the care we receive but we would be concerned about the care that we give and demonstrate that you'd release that pastoral grace in this house that God you'd give to us a passion for your word 
that Father, there would, there would come a new burning passion for the voice of God and for the Word of God. And that, Lord, you'd open our eyes to see wonderful things in your Word. That the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come upon us that we'd be equipped by your Word for the day that we're living in. Father, all of these graces, we reach out our hands in faith. And Lord, we ask God, would you light a fire in us? Would you light a fire in us, Lord, to believe for this revival that you want to bring our way? That God, it wouldn't be a moment. It wouldn't be something that comes and goes. But Father, that we'd even see by faith that it's beginning. That the revival is the revival fires are already beginning to burn. And what you're doing in this house is causing for us to be awakened to the reality of your kingdom coming and the evidence of your grace the evidence of your hand on us as we serve you and follow you and obey you so God stir those graces and those gifts in us today I pray in Jesus name in Jesus name Amen Thank you for listening to today's message If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakebound.ca or download our app for your mobile device.